The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Afternoon and welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Grimaldi in for the next hour, holding down the fort for Leslie, who is doing television right now, as she does most Tuesdays during this hour. But again, do not fear. Leslie will be back uh, for the next two hours from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern, 1 to 3 p.m. Pacific. But for the next hour, I am joined by a very good friend of the show who you've heard on these airwaves many times before, our good friend Nicholas Wapshot, who is the opinion editor of Newsweek and an author. His newest book is titled The Sphinx, Franklin Roosevelt, The Isolationists, and the Road to World War II. You can find that book at Amazon.com or www.norton.com forward slash books. Nicholas, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Mark. It's a great pleasure to be here, as always. So, um... We're going to get into a few different topics this hour, including uh, the Democratic primaries, which uh, have a very big day of voting coming up on June 7th, as most of our audience knows, with the biggest prize being California. A lot of campaigning going on this past weekend in California by Bernie Sanders, especially had an especially active uh, calendar of events this past weekend, and then today we saw news of the governor there, Jerry Brown, informally endorsing Hillary Clinton. Uh, I wanted to talk first about that and get your opinion, and as, as we do, uh, we leave the whole hour open for callers, so if you'd like to talk with Nicholas or myself, you're more than welcome to call in about any of these topics at any time this hour at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. So the first thing I wanted to get your opinion on today, uh, Nicholas, is how you see these June 7th primaries playing out, including California, and uh, then we'll kind of move on from there with some follow-ups. Yeah, I, I wish I could be more specific. I would guess everybody thinks that it's sort of on a knife edge between Hillary and Bernie. And I'm talking about California particularly, of course. A huge pile of delegates, very useful if you get. Of course, the proportional representation system means that even if they are sort of neck and neck and one sneaks ahead of the other, they'll end up mostly with the same number of delegates. So I don't know that it's going to help Bernie unless he has a landslide, which is, I think, not on the cards. Uh, but, hey, this is the politics of perception. If Hillary loses California, I think that is a profound blow to her psyche, to her campaign, uh, to the, her general election prospects, in fact, because it looks as if somehow the party is not behind, fully behind her as it should be. And California is a big prize. I mean, of all the big prizes, you know, New York, California... Uh, places like Chicago, Illinois, and so on. Uh, she may well win New Jersey on that day, which is a, a good, I mean, that's a very good thing to have. Jersey's got a lot of uh, delegates, too, and it seems to be more comfortable ground for it. Uh, California, traditionally, as you know, has been very, very good to Hillary, indeed to the Clintons in general, uh, particularly the sort of Hollywood uh, Californians, the Los Angeles Californians, uh, embraced the Clintons. They recognized the star when they saw the one, I think. Uh, and uh, there's no doubt that uh, 
although uh, last time round when Hillary was trying to beat Obama, there were some peeling off of, uh, of various big figures in Hollywood, but it, uh, it, it might have cost her, to some extent, uh, that race, they lost it. This time round, it doesn't seem as if, I must say, that uh, if we can get a sense of it, I talked to my friends in California, and they're sort of divided between Hillary and Bernie. I mean, as you might imagine, the, you know, Hillary people are Hillary, and people who are slightly to the left of that would prefer Bernie. Uh, but in the end, I think all of them agree that actually Hillary should be the candidate and Bernie wouldn't be the candidate. And so let's assume that, uh, just for argument's sake, that Bernie, you know, sneaks two or three points ahead. It, when, when Bernie wins, usually, unless they're very small states where Hillary hasn't tried hard, uh, it has been very close. And I think that California, she's obviously had a, a shiver sent down her spine about the prospect of losing, losing California, and she's worked very hard. She's spent a lot of money there. So you would think that actually the, the, if Bernie does win, it won't be by a very large margin, in which case what you're talking about is all the things I've said, just in terms of denting her confidence and so on. I mean, that's uh, the thing, Nicholas. I think it sounds like the, the upside for Bernie really realistically is just more leverage at, with the party platform at the convention. You know, everyone expects Hillary to be the eventual nominee, but it, you know, his upside is is rather small, whereas the downside for Hillary, although, like you yeah. said, even though it's proportional delegates, it's all about perception. So, I mean, the, the problem being that it, it gives a perception that she can't close the deal, that her own party might not want her in a very liberal state. Uh, how, how could she recover from something like that if that is to happen, do you think? Well, you know, if she's the nominee, then she gets the bounce that comes out of the convention. There'll be a lot of kissing and making up, depending on the deal that Bernie makes, if he makes a good deal. Uh, so uh, all of that negotiation, which we might discuss uh, at length at a slightly different part of the argument to this one. But uh, if, you're, if you're saying how will that help or how will it damage her, the fact is that after the convention she'll get a bounce in the same way that Trump's had a bounce just for be becoming the nominee. And everybody... Uh, that said that they disliked him, you know, they're slowly coming around to him. And that, that will be true in uh, Bernie's case. I, I, I can't imagine he's going to do a deal where he actually doesn't work very hard to make sure that all of his followers follow Hillary. And then there is, by the way, you know, there's the long, steamy weeks of July and August before you get into September. And that's traditionally a time of sort of amnesia for politics, where no one can quite remember what happened before the summer. And then the fall starts and campaigning starts in earnest. And by then, I don't think it probably would have damaged her all that much. But it gives... As you say, it gives her a sort of a sense of vulnerability that it looks as if she's, you know, she's not really the universally liked person at the head of the party, which before Bernie came on the scene, of course, was the case. She had the place to herself, really. Uh, so Bernie has shaken her up. But it, uh, I suppose, too, it depends how Bernie behaves at the convention, which is a very long topic. Uh, yeah, and I want to get into that, actually, Nicholas. Mm -hmm. Many Democrats, including myself, and as I've said on the air, and I think I've told you, I've supported Bernie in the primary, but I will happily vote for Hillary in November. I not just because I don't want Trump, but because I think she would be a very good president. Um, I'm I'm concerned about the damage a floor fight would do at the Democratic National Convention in July. Um, there are some signs that Bernie is just you know trying to affect the platform, which I think is what's happening, and he's just using you know basically the capital that he's gained through all the delegates he's gotten to get the best deal he can get. Um, and he's using it like I think a good politician would. The problem being, does that damage Hillary in the general election? I think you make some good points about, yeah, it seems like the election isn't that far away, but it really is when you look at the news cycle. Um, I think we all know and expect him to endorse Hillary in the end. 
that said, I think a floor fight, you know, a lot of the media was hoping for one in Cleveland. If they get one in Philadelphia, you know, the divisions, even if they're smaller, you have some breakaway uh, people that were supporting Bernie who maybe don't follow um, his call for unity. Uh, You know, it could highlight some of those divisions and sow seeds of distrust, especially when you look at um, a poll out today. Um, I think it was from the Associated Press talking about how Americans want the nomination system changed. I think that's the biggest um, vulnerability for Democrats is this this argument that Bernie's been making that the process isn't fair may, I, I think, make it tough for him to then go endorse Hillary and say, you know, she's rightfully the candidate and, you know, I support her, so should you. That's a tough pivot from saying that this process is, hasn't been fair. Yeah, but he's in the same position as Trump, who, who suggested that the GOP nominating uh, process was unfair and so on. The fact is, you know, Trump won it. And then he says, you know, of course it was rigged, but if you win by a landslide, then, you know, maybe it's not so important after all. It's a good point. You know, that that Yahoo poll, which I took a look at, it's uh, it's interesting in a way. I don't genuinely believe that there are very many people sitting around the kitchen table in America today discussing, you know, whether uh, caucuses are better than primaries and whether independents should be allowed allowed to vote in Florida. I mean, I do not. That's sort of in-the-weeds detail that only really party activists are really interested in. The, The broad brush picture is, you know, do you end up with a candidate you can support? And... And will that candidate win? That's all anyone needs to care about. I think it's going to be very, very difficult uh, to, for, for instance, all those superdelegates. It's a, just a different system. Bernie entered a system which was well-established. First of all, he wasn't a Democrat, rather like Trump wasn't a Republican. He joined the party, and then, when he started losing, started complaining about the rules. Well, he knew about the rules right from the get-go. And so that's, a, you know, that's sort of almost childish. Almost disin- disingenuous, almost. Yeah. And, the, and, you know, Hillary Clinton's been working for 30 years to get where she is at the moment, and she's put down a lot of roots in places, she's, as, as in California and so on. She has connected with endless dozens and dozens and dozens of senior Democrats who all have come to the conclusion that she would do well for the party and that when, if she were to become president, that she would do well for the country. And the fact that they have votes... Uh, in so-called superdelegates, is just part of the system. It's not as if they're not elected. and It's not as if, uh, I mean, they're usually elected, actually sort of super-elected in a way. They've been elected to uh, governorships, to uh, chairs of important democratic committees, all sorts of party structures, all of which is well-known and is historic. And to start unpicking that, uh, that's the thing that I do feel anxious about. You know, if you, you know, neither you and I are old enough, actually, but if, if you look, if you Google, Google, uh, or YouTube, uh, 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago, and look when there's riots on the streets when a party implodes. That was about the Vietnam War. But, I mean, it's, it, that is the most damaging thing. And I don't think it's very helpful for Bernie when he's, first of all, Hillary makes some concessions, says, you want more people? Fine, you know, have some posts on these important committees and so on. But then he chooses people like Cornell West. I mean, Cornell West is one of the most unguided missiles, the, one of the most troublesome people ever to have in a committee situation, because he's a disruptor. 
you know, he's, he's, do, he's playing another game. He's sort of in another world. And if it breaks out into that sort of internecine backroom committees with people fighting and spitting and leaking and all the press spending their time saying, hey, the Dems are divided. By the way, you and I are obsessed with politics, as no doubt are many of the listeners to Leslie Marshall show. Otherwise, why are they listening? And it's true, isn't it, that a month ago, we thought that it was going to be a coronation for Hillary and that it was going to be a divided convention for the Republicans. So true. Isn't it crazy how fast that changes? And the other point that I think you bring up, Nicholas, and is highlighted by the fact that Donald Trump, maybe the best argument for superdelegates, and we could talk more about this after the break, is Donald Trump. I, I think there's times where Reince Priebus and the Republicans would have given their you know left arm to have superdelegates to usher in someone besides Trump. And now, like you said, they're kind of, you know, biting their tongue and, you know, ushering in and, and supporting Trump because they feel like they don't really have a choice. Um, if you'd like to join in, uh, you're welcome to do so at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. When we come back from this commercial break, we're going to talk some more about the Democratic National Convention in July. And I'm going to ask Nicholas's opinion how Bernie might be able to uh, get his surrogates to kind of, I guess, get in line behind Hillary, but also follow his lead at the convention. I think a lot of the press does make a big deal about some of these, you know, rogue factors of delegates. A lot of these people are passionate about Bernie, and and I hope and and think that most of them will follow his lead at the convention. I just wonder how this this might go, and I'm going to get an expert's opinion in Nicholas Wapshots. Again, he is the opinion editor of Newsweek and an author. Check out his new book, The Sphinx, Franklin Roosevelt, The Isolationists, and The Road to World War II. You can find it at Amazon.com or www.norton.com forward slash books. When we get back from this break, we're also going to get Nicholas's opinion and yours, how Hillary can attract Bernie's supporters. And if you have any thoughts on that, you're welcome to join in. This is Mark Romaldi and for Leslie Marshall. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall for a little bit more than the next 30 minutes. Leslie will be back with us at about 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, and then she will finish out the show once she's done with her television appearance. But in the meantime, I am so fortunate to be joined by one of my very favorite guests, not only to hear Leslie interview, but to be joined by myself. Uh, and I'm sure you can hear why as you listen to the interview with Nicholas Wapshot, the opinion editor of Newsweek and an author. Again, check out his new book, The Sphinx, Franklin Roosevelt, The Isolationists, and The Road to World War II. You can buy it at Amazon.com or www.norton.com forward slash books. Before we went to the commercial break, I, want, I had left you uh, with two questions, Nicholas, and you can address them in whatever order you'd like. We may have to finish after the break as we've got about four minutes till our hard break, as you know, the nature of uh, radio. But my first was um, how uh, you think Bernie might be able to try to keep his uh, ducks in a row, if you will, at the convention. Because I think it's a, it's a tricky two-step he's doing, which is trying to pressure Hillary, but also then be able to, to kind of get his troops in line to support her at the end of this convention. And then if you'd like to also uh, talk about how Hillary can attract some of Bernie's supporters. 
Yeah, in the first instance, I'm slightly puzzled. Uh, you as a Bernie supporter might have a clearer idea. I, I'm not exactly sure what Bernie wants. What, what's the deal that he wants with Hillary in order to fold up his tent and agree that, you know, she is, after all, the, the candidate? The, uh, he was talking rather loosely over the weekend, saying that maybe he would consider being the vice president after all, but that's not a role that seems to fit. I mean, he doesn't want to preside over the Senate, chair the Senate hearings. He's not Joe Biden. You know, he, he, I don't think he likes the figurehead role. He actually rather despises those sorts of politicians. What he likes is getting his sleeves rolled up and, you know, and having exactly. to go with things. So I, it depends, I suppose, whether he gets the deal. And I would have thought at this stage Hillary would give him almost anything he wanted. Well, you know, he can be ambassador to London. He can be the you know, commerce secretary. He can, he can do dog catcher. He can do anything that he wants to do. And assuming that he gets what he wants, uh, and presumably a lot of that is changing the rules so that someone like him will find it easier in the future to get elected, uh, then I'm sure that he will do the decent thing and he will encourage everybody to get on board. The, but the, although he said some you know, pretty harsh things about Hillary, at the same time, he is a very likable, genial fellow, isn't he? As you can see, that wonderful remark which he threw away, which was, you know, I'm sick of your damned emails. I mean, he can say it very succinctly. He could easily say, okay, you know, I liked you all along. You know, we you think you're right. Smile, he'd be okay. So I, I think, you know, he will kiss and make up, and I think that nine out of ten people will, will follow, inasmuch as they vote at all. I mean, one of the things about Bernie's young supporters, and it's a bit like Trump supporters in a way, many of these people are new to politics altogether, and they might have got themselves organized once in the primary to vote, but it doesn't mean that, you know, on the day they're actually going to remember or, you know, get organized enough to, to do the business. Uh, there will be a certain amount of, as there is on the Republican side, sort of just ideological reluctance to back the person at the top of the ticket, and there might be people who uh, just think that Hillary is insufferable. Uh, in the Democratic case, I think the most dangerous thing for Hillary, actually, is those blue-collar workers in the old Rust Belt states who might just say, well, I thought that Bernie might do something about it, and actually Hillary's not what I need. Except that, of course, Hillary's sort of blue-collar roots go pretty deep. It turns out in the second half of the Obama battle, she actually did rather well when she sort of imitated Rosie the Riveter and actually reminded everybody that she had roots in Scranton. And, uh, or, you know, she, she wasn't entirely the the sort of confection that they've made her out to be. Uh, and she's very good in those conditions, too. You know, she can actually drink a beer. She can eat a burger or a hot dog. She can, she can get down among people, and she doesn't look strange. So uh, there's a danger there, but is it enough to, uh, to hold her back? No, no more than the vast armies of people who are not going to be able to bring themselves on the Republican side to vote for Trump. Nicholas, when we get back, we have a caller who wants to ask you uh, a question we're going to get to. If you'd like to join in, the number to do so is 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. I'm joined again by Nicholas Wapshot, the opinion editor of Newsweek and an author. And this is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall, who will be back at the helm in about a half hour. We'll talk to you after this quick commercial break.
Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall for about the next half hour. And then, as promised, you will have Leslie back hosting. But in the meantime, I'm joined by a good friend of the show, Nicholas Wapshot. And before we went to the break, as promised, I said we are going to get to some calls. Fun computers. Here we go. We've got, let's see, David in Phoenix. And I know, David, you wanted to uh, pose a question. You are on the air. Go ahead. Oh, hello, yes. Uh, I know the only objective number regarding Hillary Clinton is that she has 17, uh, 1,768 pledged delegates. That's the only objective number. Um, but my question really is, uh, what is going to be the response? Because there's still an ongoing investigation into Hillary Clinton, specifically her email. You're talking uh, about what the effect... Uh, which has... Bernie Sanders has kind of pivoted back because uh, with the IG release of the report saying that she actually did commit some rule violations uh, with her actual private server and all those things. Um, And the FBI is still investigating whether or not uh, she actually did anything wrong or even if it's potentially criminal. So Um, you want to know how this is going to affect her in the Democratic nomination and the general election or just, just the first? If, uh, if she's the candidate. Yeah, uh, not the, I mean, not in the Democrat. No, I mean, if she would win the nomination. How it could offend, affect her in November, essentially? Yeah, specifically if she's arrested by the FBI. Okay, well, that's a good question. Uh, I think some people are are wondering that, Nicholas, because obviously, um, you know, we've seen a lot of media reports talking about uh, before the the IG's report um, where people, I think, are are talking about, oh, that charges could be brought and things like that. To my best understanding, they haven't found anything where there was any sort of malicious intent. The best that I can find is that to be fair, it looks like she was careless and not following uh, recommended guidelines, which would have been to use the State Department email, and you know she could have done so. Now, the other thing that I think this IG report brought up was the fact that you had Colin Powell and Condoleezza Rice also have the same email practices of using private emails, and the reason that no emails, for instance, have been talked about via Colin Powell, obviously besides the fact that he's not Hillary Clinton and he doesn't get nearly as much mud slung at him, nor did he run for president, is because little known fact that people don't get here a lot is that Colin Powell deleted every single one of his emails uh, after he was uh, attorney, or excuse me, Secretary of State, which would have been nice to know, especially with the lead up to the Iraq War, to see some of those emails. Now, I think that shows the um, political motivations of those who want to bring these reports up. That said, people, it's being made an issue of in the general election, and you and I both know that Trump and anyone opposing Hillary is going to beat the drum and bring it up. So, if you want to address David's first question about you know, the likelihood of any charges being brought. I, I know I touched on it a bit. And then that that's A. And then B, um, how do you think it plays out, uh, you know, obviously without your crystal ball, but just looking at politics uh, going forward in November? Yeah, I, I must say that the IG report didn't actually take us very much further, I didn't find. Uh, there were, you know, some odd little snippets for people who follow the footnotes of uh, Clinton's so-called scandals. 
But like all the other scandals going right back to Whitewater, I, I think that it's so partisan in the way that it's presented. Uh, I'm, my sympathy is entirely with Hillary and anybody, by the way, who's ever uh, tried to, uh, in, in, in the work, tried to separate their personal and their private emails uh, is, you know, on a hiding to nothing. It's amazingly difficult to do. I constantly send Newsweek emails out with personal stuff on and vice versa. Uh, and a lot of that's just to do with the sort of automated process of, of which... Uh, address they choose to send the address the the email from even though the you're in the same place the whole time it's i think everybody would find uh, sympathy with it it's a very very hard case to bring uh, in as much as even if they did find some technicality it wouldn't be worth bringing a charge and if it was serious well i do well, I, I can't imagine that in any circumstance it could be serious because there was no intent if, if anything they've gone backwards in as much as she was sending uh, private emails uh, on uh, or State Department emails or, or uh, emails about foreign affairs on her private email, which we're not dealing with classified information, and subsequently they have been reclassified as classified. So this is, it's, this is one of those classic American scandals like Watergate or something, and that is if you didn't see the first ten episodes, you're going to have a headache. It's going to be very difficult to catch up to try to work it out. It's not, politically, it's not going to make too much difference because I think that Trump, in his uh, asinine, childish way, uh, it loves the way that he calls her crooked Hillary. He's going to call her crooked Hillary, whether she's arrested or not. That's not going to make any difference at all. And I think that people have more or less made up their minds, too, about Hillary. Is she a decent person? Uh, is she a politician? Yeah. You know, th th these things happen. Uh, I think she's jolly lucky that, by the way, that Condi Rice and uh, Colin Powell did exactly the same thing, because she can say, hey, you know, this was nothing new. Good Many point. people going into new jobs discover all this stuff. You know, they, sort of months after the event, you know, you discover that you should have signed up for something. You didn't sign some document which, you know, made you liable for something. You didn't sign on to the pension or goodness knows what. That happens. Uh, should she have been more careful? Plainly, she said that many, many times. I don't know what she's meant to do, you know, uh, be totally contrite and lie down flat on the floor with her arms outstretched, you know, saying, you know, please forgive me for all my sins. It's, I think it's a, a concoction and, uh, or confection, uh, as all the other uh, Clinton scandals have been. You know, the worst thing that has happened to the Clintons is that Clinton, uh, no doubt to defend his, uh, the sanctity of his marriage, lied about uh, his indiscretions with Monica Lewinsky, which for anyone outside the puritanical United States is not even a crime worth thinking about. It's not a crime. For goodness sake, it's not a crime. Uh, lying is a crime. Lying is a crime under oath. That, that's the thing they caught him on. But it's a bit like catching, uh, you know, a gangster right on his in, uh, in revenue with his IRS tax affairs or something. Uh, I, will it? Will it play hard? No. If, it, if Trump is going to throw so much mud at her anyway, he doesn't doesn't need another ball of mud. That's, uh, a, that's, I think, a good way to put it. I really don't think it's going to change minds one way or the other, and I think the likelihood that any charges are going to be brought are slim to none. If you read, like you said, what actually took place, there was no malicious intention. No emails that were classified at the time they were sent appear to have been sent by Hillary. They, they were later classified, but she doesn't have a time machine. Um, so I think that's another good point to bring up. Um, there was another story, a, a smaller story, that came out over the weekend that I thought was 
was um, promising, obviously, with Republicans controlling the House and the Senate. Um, at this point, there's nothing that can really be passed here. But, you know, if things play out well for the Democrats and they can take back um, Congress, which is a heavy lift and have the presidency, that said, you, you, you need some strong progressive ideas to get your voters uh, you know, energize and, and have something to vote for, not just against. Um, there was a story over the weekend talking about Senate Democrats getting a package ready of democracy reforms that uh, Chuck Schumer, who is going to take over the Democrats' uh, Senate minority or possibly majority uh, leader position in the uh, next session, um, it talked a lot about uh, different reforms in voting rights and also uh, in getting rid of money in politics, um, very specific proposals that many Americans support in large numbers, not just Democrats, but Democrats and pub- uh, Republicans alike. Um, you know, the uh, there's Democratic senator from New Mexico, I think it's Tom Udall, talked about how uh, in the past these issues of campaign finance were, you know, you know, inside baseball type things and now they're becoming a very broadly popular and well-known issues that um democratic voters are hungry to see change in um are you um do you think this is something that will excite democratic voters and do you think this could be uh something that could enact some meaningful change uh, if democrats can uh you know can basically get back some power uh, yes and yes. I mean, it's a very useful thing to have a manifesto saying we plan to do these ten things, if only to make sure you, you know, you achieve at least six of them. And plainly, if they've got both House and the Senate, they can do what they like. Uh, that, but as you say, that's a very tall order. Uh, the chances of a landslide for Hillary, uh, I, I guess, they're diminishing as time goes on, and more people on the Republican side find out that uh, although they hated Trump and. Uh, he hated them and said wicked things about them, uh, that still they are so loyal and tribal to the party that they'll support him anyway. But see, uh, the, the thing about the program we're talking about, and these are all, as you say, they're almost bipartisan now. Uh, it's a bit like uh, 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 criminal justice reform. It's, uh, for some reason, uh, there's been a sort of sway towards getting all sorts of uh, niggly things out, uh, out of the way. And I think that all of the things that Chuck Schumer is being talking about is a very good idea. And, of course, that's very useful for keeping all of Bernie's people on side because these are among many of the things that Bernie's people want to see happen and they're the issues on which Bernie's campaigned. So I think that even if Bernie doesn't get the, the ticket and it doesn't look as it will do, he will have made enormous strides towards making the Democratic Party much more uh, in the... Uh, ideological terms, uh, a social democratic party. I know that Americans will hate that because it's a European term, but the notion of a a welfare state with a strong safety net for people, and also, uh, I mean, just clear rule of law so that every state, in every state, everybody is treated exactly the same, whoever they are, uh, is very, very important. And it's sort of, you would imagine, constitutionally very important too. So I would guess that, yeah, it's a very, very good idea to have a clear, clear program It'll frighten off a lot of Republicans, of course, but they were never going to vote Democrat anyway, so I wouldn't worry about it. No, and and I think you bring up a good point, Nicholas. When you when you they hear the terminology, that's unpopular, but these specific ideas are very popular. Just to give some details, one, for instance, is a constitutional amendment that would overturn Citizens United. Uh, The other, um, let's see, we have uh, an amendment. 
uh, that would the Disclose Act, which was previously brought up but is being revived, which aims to reduce dark money by requiring outside groups that spend money on politics to make their identities known to the public. Very reasonable. Um, there's a bill which you know the Federal Election commu- uh, Federal Election com- uh, Commission, the FEC, as we know, is a joke because um, it's been you know hogtied basically by having two Democrats, two Republicans, and the fifth vote is no one's appointing it. Um, you know, so so no uh, campaign finance laws are being enforced. So there's a bill that would replace the FEC with a completely nonpartisan watchdog system. Another great idea. Um, on the voting front, there's the FAIR Act, uh, the acronym F-A-I-R spells it out. FAIR Act, if you want to Google it, aims to end gerrymandering by requiring states to establish independent commissions to draw district lines. And that would take the hands out of uh, partisan lawmakers. That was actually something, if you remember, uh, President Obama brought up in his final State of the Union address uh, in January. Now, all these issues I bring up because I think you're right. These are issues that even if Bernie Sanders is not the Democratic nominee, he has helped champion. And I think it then helps make Hillary a stronger candidate because she's also supported each one of these ideas and promised that if president if she had the votes these are things that she has endorsed and and would enact but the two biggest changes that can be made uh on the front of campaign finance reform and voting rights the democrats do have the potential to do even if they don't have uh the house or the senate because overturning citizens united and restoring the voting rights act are within reach if we have a democratic president to appoint the next supreme court justice so to me when I'm trying to convince others to vote for Hillary, other Bernie supporters, I think that's the best argument that you can use to convince Bernie supporters who are leery of voting uh, for Hillary in November. And I'm just wondering your take on that, Nicholas. Yeah, I, I think that it, what, what you say is absolutely right. It has made her a strong, uh, stronger candidate uh, for exactly those reasons. She's been nudged substantially to the left to the extent that uh, it, it's rather difficult to see what. Uh, Bernie has left that he's asking for that he hasn't got already. She has moved on everything. I mean, sort of everything. Maybe sort of six principal policies she's nudged to the left, in, including even things like uh, uh, the trade deal, which she used to say was the, you know, the gold standard, and now she thinks it's maybe not as good as it should be and so on. So uh, it, I think it has strengthened her in as much as it, it's got her into, the, into line with what turns out to be pretty good mainstream democratic activist thinking. On the other hand, she has to trim towards the center if she's going to pick up the people who are essential for her whim, which in this case, uh, this year round in November, is going to be mostly white suburban women who just cannot bring themselves to be ruled by a man who plainly holds women in such awful contempt. And those are the, those are the people that she needs to please, and they have different ideas. I don't think it's got anything to do with the voting rights and all the other, uh, and uh, Citizens United and all of those things. I think probably they're agnostic about those things, or if, if anything, they probably rather favor them. But there are other things that, she, that Hillary's going to have to do in order to particularly woo those Republicans. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, exactly what it is that she needs to say to them, and whether that's going to offend the, uh, particularly the Bernie people, who have a much sort of stricter view about uh, exactly what she ought to do when she's president. Nicholas, we're going to get to uh, our other two calls after this quick commercial break. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall, joined by Nicholas Wapshot, the opinion editor of Newsweek and an author. You can find his newest book, The Sphinx, Franklin Roosevelt, The Isolationists, and The Road to World War II at Amazon.com or www.norton.com forward slash books. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. 
Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall. As promised, we are going to our calls. We have Helen uh, in Ithaca, who is a regular caller. Welcome back to the show. Good to hear from you, Helen. How are you today? Hey, good afternoon. Good. Summer's finally here. So oh, I hear you. Yes, I'm very, especially in the Northeast, I uh, I love it. Uh, so in, I'm happy that we Buffalo, both have right? it. That's right, yeah. And I, I went to college right around the corner from you in Syracuse, so I know the area well. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm happy uh, for finally getting some sunshine. So I know you had, uh, speaking of sunshine, I guess California's finally getting some after some uh, gloomy weather recently, uh, living up to their name with the primary coming up. I know you wanted to make a comment uh, or question about the upcoming uh, California primary. Yeah, well, yeah, and unfortunately, all the rain was sent down to Texas, and people are dying down there. I know, I know. It's you know, apparently, there's no such thing as climate change, though. So you know, we have no inclement weather we have to worry about, according to Donald Trump, because climate change is a Chinese hoax. (laughs) So we're good to go. Well, anyhow, where I'm really from, I'm here for academic reasons, but where I'm really from is uh, Oak Park, Illinois, and that's just a few miles from where Hillary Clinton grew up. Which she's older than I am, but uh, Park Ridge, Illinois. And there's a few myths about her that I've uh, been running around the radio and airwaves. Um, that she's from, she came from nothing. She's from this uh, working class family. And you're like, no, I know exactly where she grew up. She's from an upper middle class white Republican suburb of Chicago called Park Ridge. And I'm from Oak Park which is we're a little more inclusive in Oak Park. We all get along together, you know, and uh, that thing. And also, she was a Republican her entire life until she met Bill Clinton, okay? She was a Goldwater, Goldwater girl and stuff, and he was a kind of a right-wing. Back then when Republicans, all right, you can tell I'm not a Republican, right? When Republicans used to be, you know, be more decently, Goldwater was considered, like, way too far to the right, and she was for him, you know, and um, so um, uh, and Bernie Sanders is getting he's doing like really well in California. And uh, now Hillary Clinton had a couple events scheduled in New Jersey. She just canceled them because she needs to go back to Cal- She needs to go to California to fight against Bernie Sanders. And I think Bernie Sanders represents like integrity, honesty, uh, civility and the right thing to restore democracy not just to this country, but to this planet, and I do not see Hillary Clinton in that light. I want to ask so. you a question about that, Helen, because I, you know, have, as you know, I supported Bernie when the New York primary came around where I lived as well, um, but facing the prospects of a President Trump, I am, will not only be voting for Hillary, I'm going to volunteer for her. I volunteered for President Obama in 2008 and 2012, so I'm wondering what someone like yourself will do in November, and I think it's the, the, the question is on the minds of many in politics. All right. Well, I've done every. I've been on the Democratic committee. I've been a poll watcher. I've been an election inspector and all that stuff. And I have right here. I made sure I had it when I looked at my laundry basket. I've got a clothespin here, ready to go. So if I have to vote for her, I will. All right. You know what? You just made my day. Thank you. We've got about a minute left. Thank you for putting a smile right. on my face and making me feel relieved, Helen. You didn't let me down, Nicholas. I want to give you the last minute to close out the show. Uh, what are you looking for uh, this week in the news? Oh, well. 
<laughs> I'm looking for the unpredictable. Uh, Trump is going to say, you know, another five crazy things, and who can guess? Oh, he did. He, Nicholas, you, you actually predicted the future correctly, because today he lashed out at reporters, shocking, called one quite a beauty in front of everyone, and another one a sleaze at his, uh, his, his I don't even know what you want to call it, press conference defending the fact that the veterans weren't getting money. Somehow it was the media's fault. Uh, you know, what a job, huh, Nicholas? But thanks for joining us. If you'd like to check out Nicholas's book, I encourage you to do so. It's called The Sphinx, Franklin Roosevelt, The Isolationists, and The Road to World War II. You can find it at Amazon.com or www.norton.com forward slash books. Nicholas is the opinion editor of Newsweek and an author. This has been Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall, who will be right back with us after this quick commercial break. <laughs> 